0: The uh, reading this morning is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. And it's quite apt that the main setting of this reading is in the council at Jerusalem. Very much like the PCC without safeguarding. (laughs) Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers Unless you're circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you can't be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider the question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did us. He didn't discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor their ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name. Sorry, says the Lord, who does these things. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write, write them, telling them to abstain, to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strandled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times, and it's read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, everybody. Can you see me over this? just about. There we go. Let's sort out my bits and pieces. Shall we pray together? Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we are shaped and formed by your word. We thank you that it brings us life and sets our feet upon the path. And we pray that this morning you would speak into our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's lovely to see you all. Nice to uh, see your smiling faces this morning. I wonder if you have ever had the experience of driving on a really dark bumpy, twisty, turny road in the middle of the night without any lights on the street. Has anybody had that experience? And sometimes, yeah, there's a few of you, a few hands going up. Sometimes when you're at that point where you're driving on a dark road, you can only see the path immediately in front of you. And you have to drive really, really carefully, don't you? At times like that, it can be hard to drive, it can be disorienting, it requires focus, concentration and clear, undistracted vision. Well, I think that experience of driving on a dark, windy road at night is pretty similar to the experience that the apostles had as they watched the growth and spread of the early church. The beginning of the book of Acts, in Acts 1, Jesus tells his disciples that they are going to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And quite frankly, I don't think those timid and uncertain disciples at that point had a dicky bird exactly what Jesus was talking about. And then we have the Holy Spirit descending upon them in Acts chapter 2, and slowly, slowly they begin to get the message that part of what they're called to do is to go beyond their comfort zone, beyond what's known, beyond the frontier that they've experienced to that point, and do something that is beyond their wildest imaginings. So the word of God spreads and the early church grows. And yet the road between Jerusalem and the ends of the earth is not illuminated all at once. And the disciples must navigate the direction of the church's witness with only the bit of the road that they can see immediately before them. So this passage that we have just read in Acts 15 helps us to understand how the light of the apostles' experience and their reading of scripture the historic scriptures that they had to understand and to put context around all that Jesus had said and did. Those two things together, the experience and the reading of scripture, combine to enable the apostles to understand and recognize that God is doing something new. God is reaching out His offer of grace and salvation to the Gentiles. Now, for us, that might sound like a tiny thing. It's language that we're used to hearing in the church. But for the first century Jewish Jewish Christians, this was massive, it was world changing. If you want to become a Jew, even now, the process of converting to Judaism so that you can be fully Jewish is almost impossible. It takes years. Because if you're Jewish, you're Jewish because you were born Jewish, If you were a Jewish baby boy, you would be circumcised when you were about nine or ten days old, not years. That would be a different thing. But you see, if you wanted to be a convert to Judaism and you were a man in your 20s, there was going to be a pretty painful thing that you were going to have to do to mark your allegiance to this new faith that you had joined. It would really make you count the cost, wouldn't it, if you were a bloke? You'd be putting your money where your mouth was. And, and so, actually, to, be, to become Jewish in the first century was almost impossible and was a big deal. Now, there were people who were Gentile God-fearers. We read several weeks ago about the eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch, who was traveling to Jerusalem for the Passover. He, so he had been somebody who'd wanted to en- endorse Judaism, wanted to engage with Judaism, but he was Ethiopian and he was a Gentile. And so as a God-fearer, he would always be a little bit second-class. He would never be quite as good as the authentic Jews. He wouldn't be fully integrated into the community. And so that is some of the context that this teaching is landing in in Acts chapter 15. That there are more and more people as the gospel spreads, beginning to hear who Jesus is and what he has done. And they're saying, yeah, we want into this. We want to become followers of Jesus. And the early church have got to decide, if you're going to become a follower of Jesus, does that mean you have to become a Jew first and then a Christian? Or does that mean that you can become a Christian and not have to worry too much about becoming a Jew? You can see their complex decision-making, can't you? Because they want to be faithful. They want to be faithful followers of God. And everything they knew up until Jesus was that being a faithful follower of God meant being a faithful Jew. And now things are shifting. It's looking a little bit different. We read the book of Acts from the vantage point of knowing what the church is now. When we look at these texts, we have 2,000 years worth of Christian history to help us understand how the church has grown and developed. We're a long way down the road And we can look back at the road that we have traveled and absorb the wisdom of the journey. But for the first followers of Jesus, every decision was charting a new direction of travel. Every decision represented a new twist and turn in the road. So they needed to be absolutely clear about how their decisions were going to be made. And we get a clue about how the church made its decisions in verse 28 of chapter 15. When they write the letter back to the church, we learn that they made their decisions in community, So they're sent off to see the apostles in Jerusalem, to gather together, to make decisions together, and through the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Verse 28 tells us their conclusion. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And for us, too, it's no different. We need to be guided as we make decisions about our lives by the lived experience of the community of faith and the wisdom of Scripture. And now that the church has 2,000 years of history that's gone before, we can learn from the traditions and the patterns that have emerged from the growth of our faith throughout that time. And yet, even with all of this resource and the story that has gone before us, it can still often feel like we're driving on that dimly lit road full of twists and turns. For us now, I believe that this is a season where the church, the whole church, including this church, is being shaken. Have you ever come across um, how you get um, precious stones, things like quartz and, and those sorts of stones to shine? Does anybody know how that happens? You take some rocks, you add a few chemicals, I can see Rosie nodding, you put them in a tumbler with some liquid and you shake them for weeks And then they come out and and they look a little bit different and then you put them back in and maybe only put the good ones back in and then you shake them again in, in a tumbler for a long period of time. And gradually what comes out is the beautiful polished stone that has gone from something that was a kind of crusty rock into something that looks incredibly shiny and precious and beautiful. And I think that is a little bit like the image of what happens in the church. We are all those lumpy, misshapen rocks. But we are all also precious, valuable, beautiful stones. And as we get shaken up together, it doesn't feel particularly comfortable or easy But what can emerge from that process is something incredibly beautiful. Nevertheless, the shaking does not feel great, particularly when bits of your gritty corners start to fall off and disintegrate. Now, you might not read as much church news as I do, I really, really hope you don't. In fact, I'm thinking of giving it up and certainly giving up Church of England Twitter. But in all seriousness, the general synod of the Church of England, the governing body of the whole uh, Church of England has just met. And I can tell you hot off the press, there is not a single day that goes by at the moment where serious questions are not being asked in church media about how the church has failed to keep people safe, failed to protect survivors of abuse, and at times has been implicated in causing or allowing actual harm to happen to people and then failed to make amends for the pain that people have suffered On a national level, we're hearing those stories every single day. Alongside that, there are financial challenges, the debates around human sexuality and relationships. There is a crisis of leadership that we're seeing all around us. And it isn't just that the road ahead is dark or hard to see. It's that there are actual massive boulders in the road at times that we're having to swerve and move around as we're driving. And we're reading the book of Acts at the moment because we really need to know when we find ourselves asking big questions, big questions of our faith, Big questions of God. Big questions about the church. We need to be able to look at what has gone before. What's down the road? Where have we come from? And how did God work to shape things then? While we've been in the book of Acts over the last few months, well, it's been about two months now, hasn't it? We've asked the following questions. We've asked, what is the church for? Massive question. We've thought about unity amongst believers. We've reflected on how the Holy Spirit can bring transformation. We've thought about the church as an agent of healing and an agent of social change. We've thought about the reality of persecution We've explored how God broke social barriers in the early church to welcome new people into community. We've seen how God stretches us beyond what's comfortable at times. And we've reflected on how God breaks chains. So I want to put it to you this morning that I understand that this isn't easy. And yet... The church is also something that I believe in passionately. It's the place where God is worshipped and where we are shaped. It's the place where we can be known and held in a community. Where else in the world do you find intentional, multi-generational community journeying through life together? And throughout history, the church has again and again shaped not only culture, but also legislation. The church has brought about social change. It's a worldwide movement of people seeking to form communities that follow God together. That is an incredible thing. The church is a people movement that began 2,000 years ago in a small part of the Middle East and yet continues through us worldwide today. The church is truly incredible. And as part of the church, as part of the book of Acts, I detect that there is something that is almost like a heartbeat just beating imperceptibly, in the background, throughout. It's hard to describe, but it's a dynamic, a rhythm, a continual background beat. And it's this, the rhythm of we gather and we go. We come in to be together and we're sent out. We're gathered back together as the church of God to support one another, to learn together, to love together, to grow together. And then we're sent out into the world. And this rhythm is encoded in who we are and what we do. We even speak it in our liturgy at the end of the service where we say, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. I've been reflecting on this rhythm and the way that we live it out in the church a lot recently. I think after COVID, at a time when the whole world feels overwhelming and crazy, there can be a bit of a temptation to just want to hunker down and stay safe. And this can mean that what we want from church is to be in a place that is warm and welcoming, where we can be loved and valued, where we can be known and cared for. A place where we can be part of a community of faith, worshipping Jesus together, gathering around the communion table, learning from one another and growing in our faith. And this is absolutely key. All of these things are vital. They're massively important elements of what the church is and does. But they're not the whole story. Because that rhythm is quietly continuing in the background, propelling us out and gathering us back in again. The things that feed us as the church in the community of the church, our nourishment to equip us to live out our baptismal calling to be lights for Christ in the world. We're both called in and sent out by the propelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, why am I telling you this, and why does this matter? I'm sure you already know all of these things. But it matters because the world is in a total mess at the moment. I don't know if you've noticed. In Matthew 9, Jesus looks at the crowds around him, and the gospel tells us he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. I actually dread walking through the city of Sheffield these days. I dread walking down Fargate. Because I think at the moment, walking down Fargate, it is possibly one of the most depressing things that you can do. Shops closed, building stuff all around, people who are clearly at the lowest of the low ebbs, sitting on the street, often absolutely off their faces on drugs. It's not great, it's not the city that I want to live in, where people are thriving and and flourishing and living in a way that is good and wholesome. I even feel sometimes that people have less patience when they're driving. Does anyone else feel like that? I think everybody's stressed and nobody has any bandwidth available. And I think that's us too, a lot of the time. We're stressed. We don't have any bandwidth. And there's no shame in that. Life's been hard for the last few years. And so I wonder about what it means for us to become a compassionate church. A church where we gather together to create the bandwidth. To care for one another well to listen to one another, to pray for one another, to support one another, to worship God together, to encounter God together. So that when we go, because we do have to, we do live our lives beyond these four walls, when we go, we're able to carry that compassion with us. We're able to be carriers of the presence of Jesus We're able to look with eyes and soft hearts of compassion on those who we see around us. We need to spend time with Jesus to be able to live like that. I am simply not nice enough to be able to live like that if I don't spend time with Jesus In his presence, our own bandwidth increases so that we can be compassionate. And we do that when we gather together in church, we do it in our small groups, and we do it in our own discipleship as we read the Bible and pray. The disciples had to have the Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15 because things had got messy. The gospel had spread so effectively that it had caused the church to ask difficult questions of its practice. How can we effectively include more people in our community? Growth and spread is not comfortable. If you're not sure about that, ask anyone who has been pregnant. But growth and spread is necessary so that new life can form. The mothers in the building know what that feels like, don't we? It is a wild ride. It's messy and it's full of humanity. And everyone is invited. We're called in to be loved and to find home in the community of God's people. But then the dynamic rhythm of the Holy Spirit propels us out to live with compassion, filled with the love of God as we serve others. And my goodness, the world needs the church to stop self-destructing and be the best it can be at this time. This is who we are and this is what we're called to. We're driving down the road. It's full of twists and turns. There are speed bumps and there are things that we hadn't anticipated. And yet the light of Christ illuminates our path as it always has. And we can trust in him to continue to guide our way. So, shall we pray together? I'm going to invite you to consider yourself um, where you are on the road that is your journey with Christ. And it may be that you just want to invite him to shine that light a little brighter. Or it may be that you want to ask him to clear a roadblock out of the path. But we're just going to take a moment of quiet. And as we do that, let's invite the Holy Spirit to guide us, to meet with us, and to create a space for the compassion of Jesus to flow.